Um, the is worst it, thing you can say to someone that's stressed, relax. I was just about to, I'm so glad you went there. I was like, literally, that is the trigger for a like, high five in the face with a chair. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Chronic anxiety is where it doesn't go away. And the problem is we adapt. I think one of the most important things we all should do is watch our internal dialogue. Look at how you're talking to yourself. You're being a complete bitch to yourself. Abusive. You're being nasty. Yeah. The inability to actually sit with uncomfortable feelings is one of the biggest problems that we have. Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we talk to Leanne Hall, who is the author of Head First Health Fast. Now, Leanne has an interesting story. She worked extensively for Channel 10 as their mind-body expert on the living room and Studio 10, but she's also got a master's degree in clinical psychology, qualifications in nutrition, fitness, and is currently completing a doctorate in natural medicine. So the chick's a bit smart, let's just say that. But in this episode, we actually dug deep into talking about anxiety. Why is it at epidemic levels? And how is anxiety linked to stress and addiction? And how actually nutrition can help? We talked about the symptoms and illnesses of anxiety and where it comes from, how to deal with anxiety, what holds people back from dealing with their anxiety, but more importantly, how do we regulate and teach our children how to regulate? So for those of you who've ever dealt with anxiety or panic attacks, Okay, or you're just a little bit nervous, this is one you're going to want to check out. Leanne Hall, listen up. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com Ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute honor and a pleasure to welcome Leanne Hall. Leanne, great to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'm so glad. I'm excited that you're excited. And excitement is always good <laughs> because that normally produces some, uh, some incredible results. But uh, I'm curious, for those people who've never heard of you before, what is the Leanne Hall story? Who are you and what do you do? I'm lots of things, as we all are. I saw this. Like you're, a, you're a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. You're a nutritionist. And... Nutritionist, is that right? Well, I have, yeah, I'm a nutrition coach. I have to be very right. careful. And right. even clinical psychologist, okay. you know, there's lots of restrictions about what you can actually call yourself. But right. I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. Yep. I do have qualifications in nutrition and fitness as well. So, yep. I, yeah. So it's almost like you've got the, the psychology, you've got the, the, the food, and you've got the training. So you do you're, yeah. you were a personal trainer, or you've done a lot of, you've got qualifications around training as well? I've got qualifications around training. I don't do one-on-one one yep. personal training. I kind of did that because a lot of the young people I was seeing at the time with eating disorders, body image issues, they were seeing trainers and doing exercise programs that I instinctively thought, no, I don't agree with it. But I wasn't qualified at that point to comment. So I thought, well, if I'm actually going to be able to comment and coach these young people with this stuff, then I actually need to know what I'm talking about. Plus, I was interested in it myself anyway. Yeah, so right. that's why I went back and did that. So your roots are in psychology. Yeah. How did you get into psychology in the first place? I was thinking about that. I don't know. 
I think it's just something I've always... Well, let me psychoanalyse you and oh, find out. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I think probably I've always been interested in why people do what they do. Yeah, right. So even as a teenager, I think I had various things happen to me in my was life. Was it an external reference? Like, I'm, I'm curious as to why people do what they do. Mm. Or was it internal? Like, why do I do this? Like, Or was it a yep. combination of both? I think when I was young, it was definitely external. Yep. Um, and then as I got older, it was more internal. Yeah, so right. I started to become aware that, oh, gee, maybe I've got some anxious traits and maybe that's why I do this and maybe that's why I do that. So it started off very external. My dad left when I was 13 and ruined my mum and I went into that kind of thing of how can I help her and how can I understand this? Um, And then I guess through my own life, noticing that I have anxious traits myself and that kind of thing, I thought, well, I want to understand me too. I don't want to be able to work on those things so that I can kind of not get rid of it, but live with it. And learn how to regulate and deal with it better. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We've gone there already. Anxiety seems to be, whenever we do a video on anxiety on social media, it always goes bang every single time. Uh, And it seems like anxiety is like stress for a long time was this Mm. buzzword that we're using Mm. and the cost of stress and the effects of stress. Uh, But now we're kind of starting to look at anxiety as one of those things that's very obviously incredibly linked, intrinsically linked to stress. Very much. But have you seen in your own practice that anxiety is something that is becoming almost to and I, I use choose my words very carefully here but I do want to carry a little bit of punch but it almost feels like it's at epidemic levels I would agree completely anxiety is the most common mental health issue of this decade and the decade before it I think too and I think part of it is that busyness that we all kind of seem to have and the stress that is almost a status symbol yeah, right. if you're stressed it means that you're successful yeah. um, if you're not stressed that means you're lazy so there's a lot of sort of meaning that we have around the even the terms stress and anxiety but anxiety I would say without a doubt I mean the statistics would say sort of one in three maybe one in four I would say one in two at some point in our life one in two I would think are going to have some issue with anxiety whether it's short term or long term um, but it is without a doubt one of the biggest problems of our society I think. And I would say it's even greater because a lot of it was pro- is probably th- th- I think there's a lot of people that live with anxiety and yep. it's undiagnosed. Hundred percent. Yes. Because I know for me personally, I uh, I you know I experienced a lot of trauma when I was younger. Mm. Uh, didn't actually recognise it as trauma. Just thought it was an experience. Then I just grew up with this sensation of constantly feeling on edge, constantly feeling in this state of Im- immense you know, and in some cases, um, you know, movement stopping fear. Mm. And it wasn't until I got to a point where I actually sat down with a therapist. He's like, what you're experiencing right now is actually anxiety. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm, I'm just, that's just how I am. Yeah. So what, for people who are listening to this, you know, a lot of people would be able to relate to anxiety. Mm. Some people probably over-diagnose if mm. you know, Dr. fucking Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what is anxiety? So anxiety, well, for a start, we can't get rid of it. Yeah. It's normal and we have to have it. So if we weren't anxious, then we wouldn't survive as a species. And part of what's made it us is survive, a survival mechanism. Absolutely yeah. it is. So fight or flight, we absolutely need it. But the problem with our society today is those mechanisms that generate that anxious response don't switch off for a yeah. lot of people. So Because once upon constant, a time, the saber-toothed tiger was outside the cave. Exactly right. And now it lives in our head. Now it's in our head. and our body has trouble differentiating what's real and what's not, um, particularly when it comes to those kind of powerful, anxious uh, thoughts. So so that's a problem that it's not like, oh, I'm stressed about an exam or I've got a job interview and then that stressor passes and then we feel okay. Chronic anxiety is where it doesn't go away. And the problem is we adapt. We just somehow seem to adapt, most of us, and we acclimatise to it. And before you know it, it hits us and comes out of nowhere, usually in the form of physical symptoms. So, you know, the physical and the mental 
I don't even think they're different things. I think they are the same thing. So anxiety is often felt in the body yeah. before we're actually even aware that we're experiencing it. So where if someone's like listening and they're thinking, well, how do I know if I've got anxiety? Where's the first place that they would tune into? What would they, where's the first place they would look? Well, I think in, internally, I think you need to look at what your body's telling you yeah. because I think a lot of people that have chronic anxiety, like I said, they tend to dissociate from the emotional stuff because it's uncomfortable. So I guess that's the other thing. When we feel something uncomfortable and, and anxiousness and stress are very uncomfortable emotions. So our instinct is to avoid it. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes what happens then is we'll notice that we might have, there might be weight gain, there might be weight loss, there might be um, digestive symptoms, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, there might be other health indicators that are telling us that something's actually not wrong. And that's a very, very strong tap on the shoulder. Because and you just mentioned another condition there, irritable bowel syndrome, mm. IBS, Crohn's disease. You know, mm-hmm. yep. These also appear to be things that are you know rising at dramatic rates as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that oftentimes we look at like uh, IBS as an example. We look at it in isolation. Mm. You know, we look at it as a condition within the body. And we yeah. don't actually realise that there's a possible link between the body and obviously what's going on in the mind. Mm, absolutely, it's it, there's a complete link. I mean, there's a there's an actual cranial nerve that links from our brain to our gut. So there is a conversation happening all the time without us even knowing it, and it's bidirectional. So our yeah, gut's right. always talking to our brain. Our brain's always talking to our gut. So that's kind of happening behind the scenes yeah, all right. the time, all the time. So anxiety, it manifests obviously in the mind first. And is it the relationship with stimulus? Like is it our relationship with what's happening and that whether or not we determine it's something good or something bad and, and that determines what it, what's whether it creates anxiety or not? Yeah, it's usually fear-based. So it's usually based on our fears of what might happen. And the what-if syndrome is the classic example. What if this? What if that? Um, So that's often the thing that causes that chronic type of anxiety. It's that inability to really kind of stay present and that propensity that most people have, really, to focus on future events, imagined future events, worst-case scenario, what if. And that could be based on past experience, but nearly always it's it's an avoidance of the present and a focus on the future or the past. Okay. And when people are dealing with anxiety, obviously there's good ways to deal with anxiety and there are bad ways to deal with anxiety. Uh, and again, we also seem to be seeing epidemic levels of addiction. Addiction is something yeah. that is, you know, and, and once upon a time, addiction was something that was very much categorized to, you know, certain substances. Mm. But now we're seeing process addictions. You know, we're seeing things that people are addicted to social media, people are addicted to their phone, people yeah. are addicted to sex. Mm. Um, do you think that there is a link between addiction and anxiety? Yep. I think a lot of it is avoidance. I think avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. I guess that's the thing I bang on about quite a lot, that in our society today, we avoid discomfort. Um, so we turn to other things to, to you know distract us and to kind of make us not think of that. So whether it's an addiction, um, whatever it might be, I think the inability to actually sit with uncomfortable feelings is one of the biggest problems that we have. And I think that generates a lot of anxiety um, because they're pushing things to the side, but it doesn't go away. It just kind of sits there. Yeah, right. um, and then we're in this constant battle of trying to avoid things and trying and not listen to those thoughts and pretend they're not there and you know that just generates so much internal distress for a lot of people so how do we deal with anxiety? So you're, if you're telling us it doesn't go away, how, no. do we, how, how do we deal with anxiety in a, in a healthy way? I think we've got to stop demonising it for a start. And I know Sarah Wilson's written a beautiful book and, and you know, she's, she's absolutely spot on when she says we've got to stop demonising anxiety and stress is bad. It's not bad. Um, what we need to do is learn to actually accept it as part of our life and to just learn from it. So an anxious feeling is usually telling us that something might not be right. Um, so the first thing we need to do is actually sit with it and work out 
what is this feeling? Where am I feeling it? And why am I feeling it? And that why mightn't come to you straight away. You might have to sit with it for a little while to work it out. Sometimes you won't work it out. But the, the, the most important thing is to not run from those feelings, not avoid them, but to actually sit through them. And often what happens is you'll work out, oh, I think I'm actually feeling like this because of X or because of Y or um, something in my life isn't quite right at the moment. Um, and then you can develop an action plan on how to deal with it. But it's not about avoiding that feeling. It's about yeah. using it to tell you, what's going on because emotions are there to inform us we can learn from them not avoid them so so it's almost like you're suggesting a form of you know exposure therapy whereby let's not try and avoid this feeling let's actually Mm. expose ourselves to it let's be vulnerable to Mm. it let's accept it as a reality yeah and then let's maybe perhaps find out what it's linked to what's the trigger for anxiety why am i feeling this way and is because it's probably fair to say that there's practical anxiety Mm. you know which is the stuff that's going to save us from walking off a cliff or walking in front of a bus or doing something stupid yeah and then there's impractical anxiety you know the stuff that prevents us from fulfilling our goals yeah. and chasing our dreams. And how do we distinguish between the difference between the two? Well, I think the former, I guess, you know, the answers often come to you in terms of what's making you anxious. I think if you're talking about that chronic anxiety that's probably maladaptive, usually that's been creeping up on someone and the symptoms have been there for a while. And no matter what you do, they don't seem to go away. So that's when, and often you do need a professional to actually sit with you and try and And is that where that. in some cases it's trauma related? Like, it can be, yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah it can be. Um, you know, and some of us have a... We overvalue um, the, the opinions of others. So we're very self-critical, for example, yeah. or, you know, so we're constantly caught up in that idea of not being good enough or, or fear of failure or whatever it is. So, you know, often often there is, uh, often it resonates with those core beliefs and those core values that we have and those core fears that we have that we mightn't be good enough or, you know, I'm unlovable or I'm a failure. So I think once you kind of know what those, co- and we all have them, mm-hmm. every single one of us has them. And look, it does take a little bit of introspection and it takes a little bit of reflection. And I think we're not used to that I think we're very very much used to kind of focusing outwards so that inward stuff can be really confronting and and I think for people if it is if it does feel confronting yeah. there's no harm in saying I need some assistance and I need some professional help yeah, it right. could just be a few sessions with yeah. someone to actually just unpack it look at it and yeah. move on I think therapy I highly recommend everyone I've been doing it for a while I think it's you know everyone should have someone that they can speak to but what's interesting when we look at stress and anxiety and those things that are linked together uh, I've done a lot of work with um, elite professional athletes and also elite special forces and the way that they approach stress conditioning is really quite interesting. Yeah. Again, it's not the avoidance, it's the exposure to and the gradual increase in, in moderate and the gradual increase of dosage to a point where yeah. there's almost just a level of immunity. Uh, why do you think so many people just don't don't even want to go there? Like what what is it that prevents people even going, well, I can sit with this, but I'd rather drink a beer. I'd rather have mm-hmm. I'd rather get on social media. I'd rather you know, whatever their thing is, why do you think people just don't want to go there? Because people want to feel good now. And can I just say, you've just touched on my absolute passion of where I'm headed now in my research is looking at um, elite athletes and endurance runners yep. and that idea that they have this incredible ability to kind of sit through suffering and discomfort for long periods of time. Um, but I think for most of us, and, you know, they represent a very small kind of into the niche don't they but but really I think every, it's all about now 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 whatever makes me feel good now yeah. um, you know and I think the, the inability and even delayed gratification I was talking to my in-laws the other day um, you know like even I when I was young all those years ago <laughs> when I used to Madonna came out she's with a saying new this CD. and she's 21 ladies and gentlemen yeah. no, 21. Madonna came out with a new CD and I remember having to save up for weeks to get this CD and I sat there and I counted my pennies and I had to put off actually getting it now what happens when you like a song you just download it's there it's now it's instant so I think there's this 
idea that you know pleasure pleasure is 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 instant and it should i just i, just, I should feel good all the time i should mm. feel happy all the time and it's just not true yeah. um i think we forget how much learning and growth comes from the sitting with the discomfort and the uncomfortable stuff i personally found you know pain is one of the greatest awakeners um, you know, it really is one of the things that yeah. wakes up. But, you know, you mentioned something about the endurance runners uh, mm. and such a small percentage of people that can oh, do that. So but what's interesting when you compare it to elite professional athletes, well, again, one of my passions is, you know, really understanding the elite special forces mindset. Mm. And, you know, you look at Navy SEALs, it's for the last, uh, whatever, 50, 60 years, they've only ever had a 20% success rate of graduation. And no matter how much mm. money, no matter how much research, no matter how much they try and, you know, break down and look at it, but they've identified that there's one key element. You probably know the answer this already they've identified one key trait that is a difference between you know someone actually graduating from navy seals or in some cases becoming a professional athlete um, and not and they've identified that as grit and mm. that is the ability the ability to deal with pain for extended periods of time yep. when others can't yeah now I guess that begs the question: Like, is grit something that we can teach? Because grit and anxiety, mm. man, best friend. If you if you can develop grit and you've got anxiety, yeah. then you you know you're 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 setting yourself up for a high level of success. Yes. Yes. So, what is grit mm. from a psychological perspective? Well, I guess from from where I'm at with endurance runners, it's mental toughness, and you're talking really about the same thing that that idea of grit. And what I'm looking at and what I'm interested in is when we talk about pain in particular, it's not just a visceral sensory experience of pain, but it's how they experience pain mm. and how a navy experiences pain and it's not just physical it's it's cognitive as well so the meaning they attach to pain what does it is mean? very different to the way someone who's avoided discomfort and pricks their finger and, ah! um, and I think it's fair to interject here and say well, okay so what does anxiety mean yeah because oftentimes we look at anxiety and go this is a bad thing but we mm. can actually look at the balance and they go well there's actually an equal and opposite meaning which is also good if we're willing to dig yeah that's right and, and look I think those experiences of pain and grit I think is it's, it's absolutely fascinating and we don't really know that's the answer from a psychological point of view if we knew um, and you know I know there's researchers over in the states when it comes to endurance runners and athletes they're doing the same thing and they're working with the military and yeah. working out how to kind of how do we train this? the brain yeah. to do endurance stuff like that um, so so it's a work in progress um, yeah. fascinating field but I would have to say one of the factors, if you look at it in terms of it's the meaning you attach to pain, where does that experience, that interpretation come from? I think a lot of it's upbringing. And I think, unfortunately, you look at sort of children that are raised in environments where they're never allowed to be up, well, they're not allowed to, but they're not upset ever. Um, they don't know how to self-soothe. Um, Mum holds their hand to, you know, pat them to sleep. And, and even when they're teenagers, you know, oh no, we don't want them upset. So. You know, if if you raise your children to avoid pain and and to kind of rescue them all the time, they don't have that grit. They just don't have it. Whereas I think the kids that have to sort of dig deep and you know learn from it and grow through it, I think they're they're often the ones that end up being able to deal with it better. Do you mind a bit of controversy? No, because I've got a Love fascination it. with addiction. Okay, yes. I'm an addict. Yes, um, but I'm, I've been reading a lot of the most current research mm. around how the brain maladapts based on its environment. Mm. When kids are actually put in high stress environments, mm. okay, and they don't have the ability to have someone because most kids, and this is what I've just learned, they don't know how to self soothe. Yes, it's yes. not an inha- exactly. it's not an inherent trait. That's it's not right. A, it's something that they learn through yep. the contact of a parent. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges we have, and because I, and, I was one of these people who was brought up. 
You know, I was spanked as a child and mm. grew up this, with this uh, condition called respect for my elders. And I used to mm-hmm. totally buy into that. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I had a son. Yeah. And then I started to realize, oh, shit. And I started thinking about all the ways that I was disciplined. And I started, yeah. you know, visualizing that on him. And I was like, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. I just can't. And it's not to say, and then this is not to diminish mum. It's okay. It's not to diminish mum or dad. But it's just to say they did, they did the best that they could with the tools that they had with the time. Yes. But what yeah. I've now learned through my own condition of addiction is, you know, I didn't learn how to regulate stress as a child because yeah. I wasn't shown how to regulate stress yeah. in a healthy way and as a result my brain developed in a different way yeah which made me more susceptible to adhd which made me more susceptible to to you know the moment i experienced the substance that made took the anxiousness mm. away i was like oh so this is what it's like to feel normal yeah and yep. um and that's where i, I kind of you know i, I chime in there because it's interesting where i when my son was first born was like you know if, my, if he was having a meltdown my first response was if he wasn't getting his own way and yeah. was having a meltdown my response to my wife was look he's got to learn mm. and thank God for her, you know, intuitive wisdom. She's like, no, he needs to be nurtured. Yeah. And that's what I learned through my own experiences when our children are breaking down. It's, mm. we don't, we're not there to teach them a lesson. We're there to make them feel safe because mm. they yeah. need to feel safe in a high-stress environment because they don't know how to regulate their own emotions. That's it, yeah. But I, th- and I think there's a happy medium, though. You know, I yep. think that there are two extremes. I guess one extreme 100%. is not nurturing and, you know, letting them just go through it. The yep. other extreme is is colluding with that avoidance, I guess. And I guess yep. that's what I mean. I think, you know, there are a lot of kids that, that have – been overprotected yeah. um, and I'm not going to say over nurtured because nurturing is beautiful you've got to nurture your you kids you can never love a child too much never never yeah. never but I think you know the, the, if I look at the lifelong lessons that I learned you know yeah. you go through tough times you know you, you fail an exam and you have to suck it up but you can do it in a way where you're nurtured at the same time yeah. and you're taught those skills because you're right we're not born knowing how to put ourselves to sleep yeah. um, you know as a parent you know when you've got an infant you don't just sort of put them down and let them kind of, well, you know some would say you do but, but I would argue you don't just let them scream you got to teach no. them though the worst that's thing that's what the science is telling us when we do let them scream they're literally living in a high st- they're not learning how to regulate stress no well and little babies i mean we're talking about babies yeah. and you can't teach a you know a newborn to self-soothe that's no. ridiculous yeah, yeah, 100% right. <laughs> yeah so grit it's it's something that we still don't mm. know how to teach but what's interesting because when we look at this as a discipline and again because i think grit and discipline are intrinsically linked mm. and i think the more discipline yes. and the more structure that we have as children the easier it is for us to apply ourselves to mm. situations that are uncomfortable for extended periods yeah. of time it was um i actually said this in the last interview as well uh it was i think it was forbes magazine 1992 they did a um a study of the top five percent of ceos in fortune 500 companies going back like 50 years mm-hmm. and they discovered three common patterns they either had a background in uh, elite sports or professional sports, a background in um, military yep. or a background in martial arts, which it's, it's fascinating, right? Yeah. But it also is the advocate for structure. Yeah. It is also the advocate for discipline. And, and, and because I think oftentimes in life, most people want to be free and free mm. is I can do whatever I want whenever I want, mm. which is, you know, the, the ultimate, my path to addiction was doing whatever I want whenever I want it led to me just doing things that I perhaps shouldn't have. Yeah. So how important when it comes to dealing with anxiety... Because oftentimes anxiety can be triggered from things that are unexpected, mm-hmm. we didn't beyond our control. How important is structure and discipline in a life to help minimise, or in most cases, better be able to deal with things like anxiety and stress? Mm. I think it's important, but I think we also have to have flexibility as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes with anxiety, it can come from actually being too rigid with that stuff as well. So, yeah, right. You know, that's the other OCD, side of it. A level of OCD. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I've got my structure and I've got my routine, and if anything messes with Don't it, fuck then with it. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to go mental and have yeah. a breakdown. So I think we've got to have that flexibility. 
flexibility and and part of it's about being realistic with the structure as well I think I was just talking to some of your beautiful staff before about the idea of busyness you know we have this kind of idea that we've got to be busy all the time that that's a status symbol Um, but that's actually just fosters and feeds anxiety and stress you know that idea that I've got to be doing something all the time because I'm constantly seeking validation um, to feel good about myself means that you know you just don't know how to be still and you don't know how to just sit with your own thoughts Um, and that's a problem as well so I think structure is important and I think having boundaries is crucial with with in in anything so um, which involves saying no sometimes um, which I guess the people I see have the biggest problem saying no they can't Um, people that have anxiety tend to be givers they tend to put their needs last all the time generally so you know I often see people who are constantly focused on doing everything else whether it's kids whether it's husband and then in the end of the day they're left frazzled with kind of nothing left no fuel in the tank at the end of the day so yes structure is important but I think we just need to be mindful that we're not overstructuring our life and that we do have that flexibility to kind of change if you know if life throws a curveball which it always will (laughs) so dealing with dealing with anxiety dealing with stress first thing is sit with it sit with the pain sit with the discomfort and then start looking at the origin where's this coming from is Mm. it practical is it impractical um is there like is there a physiological is there anything we can do like physiologically mentally um with our yep. body or our minds to actually help learn how, because for me, again, mm. and it's kind of interesting the path that I've taken now in business, for the last 15 years I've been on this passion to learn how to regulate and teach how mm. the regulation of, of, of emotions and stress. Yeah. Because um, for the longest time I didn't think it was possible. Mm. But what I'm curious to know from your perspective is how do we teach someone how to regulate in because anxiety, yep. when it's impractical, prevents us from doing what we need to do. Yep. So what can we do as a human being in a moment where, okay, I'm anxious, I know where it's coming from, what do I do next? How do I regulate in a, in a more efficient, effective way? I think one of the most important things that we all should do is watch our internal dialogue because that by far is the most powerful thing. The little things that we say to ourselves, which are often often we're unaware, yeah. um, so switch on the light bulb, actually pay attention to that in a dialogue. One of the things I say to my um, people I say is, how would you talk to a friend in that situation? Because look at how you're talking to yourself. You're being a complete bitch to yourself. Abusive. You're being nasty. Yeah. You wouldn't say, oh, I told you you'd fail at that. You're hopeless. Why can't you get that right? You can't do anything right. That's the language and the stuff that we say to ourselves. So I think paying close attention to you in a dialogue and actually balancing it out. I know mantras are, you know, a bit cliched. And I don't believe in just having mantras for the sake of having a mantra. But I do think creating a more helpful inner dialogue. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to construct that in order for it to then become automatic. And, and inner dialogue is, is, is self hypnotic suggestions yeah like it's yeah. what we're suggesting on ourselves right. on a regular basis becomes deeply embedded in, yeah. in our subconscious that's right so even saying things to yourself like it's okay it's okay yeah. to feel like this it's okay oh so what that's all right but try try harder next time or and i think sport that plays out in yeah. you know unbelievably you know i do you know, i've just started doing triathlons and the amount Ooh. of times through a race that you kind of think I can't do this. And if you pay attention to that and you think, no, I can, um, but it's okay to think that because that's a normal thought process. It's just a thought. Just because I think I can't do it doesn't mean I can't do it. It's not a fact. It's just a thought. So once you start creating some separation between your thoughts and your reactions and you do that by paying attention to them, um, then you've got more power to choose how to respond. Do I put my hand up and get the lifeguard to come and rescue (laughs) me or do I suck it up and say, no, no, keep going. You're not going to drown. It's all right. So, yeah. I've got a couple of questions that I love to ask myself when I'm in a high stress, high anxiety uh, situation, which is the first one is what is the benefit of this? 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, and at first, like, and then when I first started, it was like, there's no fucking benefit. This is horrible. <laughs> but what I've discovered is over time, you start to realize that there are benefits of stress. There mm-hmm. are benefits of anxiety. You just have to be willing to seek. Now, how is this serving me in this moment right now? Uh, and what tools does this give me that I didn't have yesterday that will allow me to move forward faster than, than you know, it was yesterday, tomorrow? Yeah. And I find personally, just by being able to balance the equation, because like you say, if the inner dialogue is all negative, mm. it just amplifies mm-hmm. and becomes a symbiotic yeah. amplification. Whereas if we can just balance our psychology and look at, okay, I, I can, I know I'm, I'm very clear on all the bad stuff, but let's balance this out with a bit of good stuff as well. Yeah. Our mind can wrap, our, wrap around, you know, and, and start to equalize itself. Yeah. But is there anything we can do with our physiology? Physically, what can we do in those moments you know, to help calm and, and regulate the body yeah. down? So obviously in those moments, your cortisol levels are through the roof. So, you know, you've got blood sugar running through your cells. Cortisol tells your liver and your muscles to release glucose into the bloodstream. It's preparing for a fight or flight. So physiologically... Which um, is destroying testosterone. It's destroying honestly, estrogen. Yeah, totally. Yeah. inhibits our digestion, makes us... We lose... Yep. About 30 to 40, 50% of IQ in seven minutes. Yeah, let's talk about elevated cortisol. You're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's terrible. So, yeah. yep, that's right. So, you know, they say deep breathing. Oh, yeah, deep breathing. But what you're doing by deep breathing is you're regulating your oxygen levels. Often when we're anxious, we hyperventilate. We don't know it, but yep. our breathing, we're not breathing from the diaphragm. So, focusing on your breathing, it does two things it regulates your oxygen levels, but it gives you something to focus on that's present and in the now. Mindful. So it, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, look, and I, and I think that's going to that's gonna do one thing. I think actually doing something for your muscles as well, I think is, is relaxing. But I think when you've got that elevated cortisol and that agitation that goes with it, you can't just relax. You know, I find that the only way I can do that is if I go for a run, jump yeah. on the spot. I yeah. don't know. Do whatever you can that's physical to get the heart rate up. Even if it's just for five minutes, then relax because you've got to burn off all that adrenaline and all that cortisol. Yeah. Um, the is worst it, thing you can say to someone that's stressed, relax. I was just about to – I'm so glad you went there. I was like, literally, that is the trigger for a like, high five in the face with a chair. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So – you and you've gone where I was going to go. The the biochemical because mm. the biochemical response of stress, the biochemical response of uh, of anxiety, it's incredibly destructive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, and then it's amplified when we soothe with things like you know alcohol. We soothe with things like drugs because all that does mm. is compound. Uh, what we're experiencing. So I'm curious to know if there is perhaps some supplementation that some people can take that can perhaps support high stress, high anxiety, you know, environments and mm. people that are perhaps a little bit more susceptible. Yeah, look, I mean, things like, you know, B-complex vitamins and things like that have always been known to, I guess, be useful and, and beneficial for, for chronic anxiety. Look, I, I actually think that... You know, I think when our cortisol levels are high, blood sugar, all that kind of thing, we have a desire to, to eat sugar. And I guess I guess when we're physiologically feeling anxious, I guess the other main thing we should be able to do is say, what, what, what can I do that's actually good for my body right now? Um, and I think good nutrition is crucial when it comes to that. Um, well, I was actually going to go there next after supplementation. Yeah. Like, is, is there a link and ha- have there been thousands if not hundreds of studies already linked to poor nutrition and higher levels of stress and anxiety yeah but it, it's difficult to know which direction the relationship is yep. you know sometimes is it the fact that we're anxious that we then are eating the not balance. so good or yeah. is it the, you know who, who oh my knows God, i just ate a donut yeah. i'm a month now i'm exactly. going to hell i'm fat tomorrow that's well that's it but i think if, if we've got that kind of we could almost call it it can become like a pre-metabolic issue where we've got elevated cortisol which obviously leads to kind of weight gain testosterone through the floor forget it um all that 
kind of thing, then we need to look after our hormones. And I think that's really important. So eating kind of foods that are alkalizing, that are soothing, your, your fiber, that kind of thing, um, whole grains, lots of the stuff that we know, really. I mean, it's not rocket science, leafy greens, fresh fruit and vegetables, foods that aren't processed. That's the stuff that's going to, you know, really look after our gut because with chronic um, stress and high cortisol comes chronic inflammation because our immune system is suppressed. So that chronic inflammation can often mean that we don't have the right gut bacteria. So when we're eating foods that are processed, which is okay sometimes, but in those moments, that stuff might have issues. We might have issues with that stuff. It might actually leak and cause all sorts of problems. So we need to look after our gut. So I'm a big fan of probiotics. There's no real solid research that links you know, the, the taking of probiotics to reduce stress and that kind of thing. But I personally swear by them. So, you know, I think if you've got good probiotics and prebiotics and you're yeah. eating well, um, that should protect your gut. One question, a little bit off topic here. How is it that when I eat 200 grams of chocolate that I put on at least one kilo? I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit random. That's a bit it? weird. Yeah, I know. I never want to work that one out. I've just, but I'm curious. Yeah, I, I always want to know. Okay, um, in, I've been doing, I've been fasting for about 15, oh no, almost 18 years now. Uh, I started off doing uh, the long, you know, the seven to 10 day water fast with the colonics yep. and everything else. And in the last couple of years, I've uh, transitioned into the intermittent fasting mm. schedules, um, which has been, you know, shown to increase inflammation, you know, uh, sorry, decrease inflammation, uh, increase, um, you know, hormone levels to yep. stabilize. So what's your experience with you know, using something like intermittent mm. fasting as a as a life because again this isn't about mm-hmm. the diet uh, yes this yep. is the biggest challenge yep. and again the reason I got into intermittent fasting is because I'd go and do these 7 to 10 day water fasts once mm. or twice a year you know I'd, I'd go and I'd drop 10 kilos on a water fast I'd mm. come back and spend the next six months putting it back on yeah, again yep. and although I'd yep. feel great but then there were these periods there was a lot of stress to put on the body yep. now I'm intermittent fasting yep. I'm the lowest way I'm, I'm, I'm basically my 14 year old weight Mm. But I don't. I feel like my seven-year-old self. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is I've literally had uh, injuries that I've had for 15, 20 years uh, spontaneously heal. Mm. Uh, conditions that I've had for you know a decade or more just spontaneously disappear. Uh, but I am curious to know your opinion on intermittent fasting as a lifestyle not as a you know a treatment yeah and its effects on things like anxiety and stress and body health i do it too i do the 16-8 do you really yes i do yeah both my husband and i do so monday to friday i don't eat until one yeah um and then i don't eat anything after nine i knew you were cool (laughs) (laughs) and you know what i did it as an experiment because i i knew there was so much research in favor of it and i thought initially i thought oh another diet that's ridiculous you've got to have breakfast and it's the most important meal of the day and all that Such kind of stuff. Such a crock of shit. If you look at the Australian Dietary Guidelines, yeah. it'll tell you, you've got to have breakfast, you've got to do this, that and the other, and it's good for your metabolism, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I believed that. Yeah. I believed that That's for so long. That's what doctors are taught. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, doctors aren't taught about nutrition. No. No. Or oh, well, 15 minutes. There's a 15 minute <laughs> oh, workshop. Oh, that covers it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so uh, good you know, health and, and nutrition and good health is not linked with disease. No, at not all. at all. Not based you, no, on you can eat McDonald's and yeah, be fine. Exactly, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to demonise McDonald's. though. why? Because I don't demonise anything. Okay, fair enough. I, I love your balance. No, no, I, really my balanced. kids have McDonald's. Yeah. God damn it! Yeah, yeah. they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, it's fucking good. <laughs> Intermittent fasting. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I do it too. The yeah. sixteen eight. So. Oh, how long have I been? My husband does it as well. We've been doing it for about a month. Now, my husband is exceptionally fit, but just he's 
you know, unfortunately he's got high cholesterol and his parents oh, have. It's a genetic thing, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I've just had my bloods done. My cholesterol has been quite high as well. So I'm interested to kind of see. I can't absorb B12 very well. I've been low on iron, all that kind of stuff. Um, I was diagnosed as latent celiac um, yeah, several right. years ago. Okay. Um, I've just had my um, celiac immunology just done again. So I'm really interested to see what, what happens, but I feel great. I actually feel you, great. You will feel the, the the most your body will respond is at about three. You never probably want to know about the three month mark once you become yep. fat adapted. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the and uh, we've got most of our clients on the intermittent fasting schedule. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do it as a as a lifestyle now as I have been yep. for about two years. Uh, I do the twenty four. So I'm oh, normally okay. I'm, yep. and sometimes I'll just do the the twenty three one. Like sometimes yep. I'll eat once a day. Yep. At least twice a week I'll eat once a day. Yeah. The balance of the time I'll eat maybe two times a day between four and eight. Yeah. Uh, and then one day a week I'll do what's called a refeed where I'll mm, basically okay. just eat whatever the fuck I want donuts pizza ice cream you name it what's interesting is I almost I always wake up leaner the next day after my refeed which is interesting but more energy it's but but when we look at anxiety like Mm. are there any links between anxiety stress and um, you know the benefits of fasting and, and, and what we get from it. I think there'd be definitely a at least an indirect link because yeah. I think that you know the fasting has been shown to decrease cellular inflammation and we know that inflammation and stress are like the same thing. So I think if you're I and mean, I feel calmer, I have to say, and it's only early days for me, and maybe it's placebo, I don't know, but it's I generally feel like I can think a bit clearer. Um, I now train without eating. I used to kind of the first few times yeah, I went so to train, I died. Yeah. I could not do it. I'd get halfway through my set and think, oh, this is ridiculous. Now I don't even think about it. Um, but yeah, I think certainly. But have you seen also the data that they've used? They've been using intermittent fasting now as treatment for early onset uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and the results they've been getting really? has been incredible. Well, you know, you think about it. If we're constantly eating, our body does nothing but digest food twenty four seven, except for when we're asleep. But it's still working hard, obviously. So, I think by giving the body a break from digesting food, which yeah. let's face it, it's hard work. Digesting proteins is horrendous. Yeah. The poor body has to take every single amino acid apart and rebuild it into something it can use it's you know the the energy that we use digesting food I think we forget how tough that is on the body so Mm. by just giving the body a break from that means that it can put all its energy towards healing um, towards rejuvenation towards all that recovery all that kind of stuff that it doesn't really have time to do else you know when we're eating all the time so you know in in saying it that way it kind of makes common sense but I don't think there are any direct studies now that have come out yet to kind of show but I would say it's It's a matter of time and I think you know at least we can sort of say there's definitely got to be a you know some sort of link somewhere yeah and we can see the popularity of it growing you know it is going to become as far as I'm concerned the number one anti-aging tool Mm -hmm. which is going to make it sexy because obviously that's what people want because yes feeling well and everything else is grand but looking younger is obviously the you know the thing that people want we've got to just take it away from the whole diet mentality and 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 that's that's the thing thing. it's It's not a diet my in-law said to me why are you you skipping breakfast you know you don't need to lose weight I said no 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 no. I'm eating the same amount of calories yeah exactly the same amount of calories I'm just eating them within a different window that's all I'm doing so I think we've got to get our mind around the fact that it isn't a diet I'm not skipping a meal I'm just choosing my window of when I eat my calories I think often in life you know because obviously our a lot of the areas that we work in specifically are business and people treat their business you know that people treat success in business like a fucking diet or like Mm. an event they'll work on their business to make it more successful maybe once you know a fortnight every a weekend every month yeah Um, most people treat their relationship like it's an event you know they may be 
which leads to, in most cases, no one doing anything about their business until the creditors are at the door. Most mm. people are not doing anything about their relationship until their partner's about mm. to walk out. Mm. Whereas when we can actually make this a way of life, well, yeah. this is how we show up every day. Mm. It's no longer, I'm not trying to lose weight. My body just does it naturally. I'm not yep. trying to create more energy. My body just does it naturally. Yeah. Well, exercise is the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people that kind of impose exercise programs onto their lifestyle and think it's going to stick yeah. um, and it just doesn't. You've actually got to integrate it and make it a part of it. So similar kind of thing. It's got to just become habit. And so that's we, we touched thing. on mindfulness earlier um, and it's, it's linked to uh, being able to you know, effectively regulate and treat things like stress and anxiety. Mm. But what's your experience? Do you have any experience with mindfulness or meditation and using that as another tool to help regulate? I'm not very good at it. I think that's what my experience, my direct experience is. <laughs> I'm pretty bad at it a lot of the time. I try yeah. um, and I have... I guess uh, consciously I have moments where I, I run and I guess that's when well, I'm that's mindful. A form of meditation. Yeah. yeah, and I use that now as a form of mindfulness. At least one run a week for me now is, you know, I call it a chi run because it's a bit yeah, of a right. tai chi focus I have on my on that run. And it's where I couldn't give a stuff about my pace, don't care at all. All I'm focusing on is my core and being relaxed and my posture and my breathing and the sounds and sensations of where I am. That's all I think about. So I think probably for me to actually just sit and be mindful, I find really challenging. So, but if I'm integrating it in an activity that I'm doing like running, cooking is another one. Um, I can sometimes, I except when the kids are around me, yeah. and, yeah, I'm hungry. But <laughs> if, if not, if I've actually got the kitchen to myself, that's another place that I can actually practice it. So I think for people that find it difficult, I think a lot of people turn their nose up at mindfulness and say, I can't just think of nothing. It's not about that anyway. It's actually about focusing on something. Yeah. Um, but you're being present. That's that's the key. So, yeah, so I often say to people, don't worry if you can't sit still and be mindful or take a nice bubble bath and be mindful. I mean, that'd be great. But for most of us, we need to attach it to an activity so yeah. that we're actually putting our mind somewhere. Right? And also having realistic expectations yeah. about the, the practice itself. Because, you know, you know I've, I've been meditating now for almost, uh, yeah, probably 18 years, 20 years. And one of the things that I've learned when I first started meditating, you know, I'm ADHD, like I'm high level ADHD. And my mind is, you know, they have the monkey mind, but they call my mind the, the, the gorilla uh, in a china shop, you know, dose up on crack and cocaine. <laughs> like he's wild. And so for me, I, I had the same talk track. I'm not good at meditation. I can't do meditation. Mm. But what I realized is by focusing, and I'm talking for an, 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 an extended period of time, all of a sudden the muscle started to develop, mm. you know, and then when then the muscle becomes strong, it becomes a lot easier to lift the weight that we're dealing with. Very true, but what's yeah. also interesting which I've learned, you know, because I was meditating very heavily last year. I was going through separation with my wife and a lot of stress going on. So I was, you know, I was in some some days I was meditating three and four hours a day, mm. uh, and that wasn't all in one go. Like I'd do yeah. an hour in the morning, I'd do half hour in the car on the way to work, half in the car on the way at home, hour with my son in the evening. Uh, but then towards the end of the year, you know, life got a little bit busy, and I stopped meditating, and it was almost like. I went back to start meditating again uh, mid-January and I was like, shit, I've only stopped. It's like fitness. Mm. I only stopped training for six weeks and yeah. you know, it's. I feel like I haven't meditated in my whole life again. Yep. And I think that's a challenge for some people to have these unrealistic unrealistic expectations mm. of what meditation should give yes. them in the period of time that it does. Yeah, and that they should be able to sit and do an yeah. hour. I mean, if you're starting out, there's no way. I mean, oh. you've got to build up to that. Exactly. So I think you're right. I think people think, oh, I'll spend the first hour of the day doing this. Yeah. I can't sit and do no. that for an hour. Um, if you've got to start with five minutes, you start with five minutes. Beautiful. So, yeah, no, you're right. I think, And I think with that kind of stuff too, we've got to let our mind go where it's going to go. Once you start judging your thoughts in that process too. And that's half the point. The, the, I think half the point of meditation is realizing the distraction is there, but the key is becoming aware of when the distraction is there. So that we and can not judging it. Ex- and bingo, mm. not judging mm. it as something yeah. that's bad. Yeah.
oh, we judge our thoughts all the time. It's terrible. See, I just did it then. I was say, stop judging me. Because <laughs> I know if you're judging you, you're judging me. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, obviously you've, um, and, and again, one of the reasons I was really excited to speak to you, Leanne, was the fact that you, you, know, you do work on the mind, you do work on the body, and you do work on the nutrition as well. So when it comes to making you know, uh, the mind and the body and nutrition something that it is a way of life, for someone who maybe experiences high levels of stress, high levels of anxiety, they don't have the best diet, you know, they don't hydrate very well, they, they think shitty thoughts, mm. where, is it, where do we start? Start small. Yeah. I think sometimes I say people that will say, all oh, right, that's it, I need to stop eating sugar, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to do this, I'm joining boot camp, and I think, stop, you know, that's all wonderful, but it's too much. So if, if the thing, if you can do one thing each week or one thing each day that is actually aligned with where you see your healthy self. So I think we've got to start with an image of what does my healthy self look like? And a realistic goal. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And we need to put that image in our head um, of, of that person. And that's we need to have a real healthy relationship with that person. So once we've got that goal and once we know where we're going, we've just got to step through it and, and be patient, I think, and not expect results, you know, really, really fast. I think, like I said, one small thing each day and that could be a phone call um, to you know a gym or not even a gym but it could be I'm going to send my friend an email to see if they're interested in doing park run with me or I'm going to I don't know it can be something tiny it can be I'm actually going to go and buy that book that I've been wanting to get or I'm actually going to have a green tea today I've never tried green tea I'm actually going to something good for my body and something good for me we've got to start switching that internal dialogue to being a nurturing one and a self-care one and sometimes starting with the head can be a bit more difficult um so start with the body you know book into that massage book into that pedicure book in to get your hair done oh you know one of the things that i see in business but also in life because again i'm i love business that's our core but i'm i just love performance i love people Mm. you know well-being and you know being able to Mm. express greater greater just greater life you know levels of life but patience seems to be something that is lacking in so many people Mm. and everyone everybody wants everything right now so when we talk about you know managing um the the perspective how can we manage the perspective when we have these if if someone's identifying go well yeah i've constantly set unrealistic goals okay how do i start small like if i'm going to start small in my head or my body i can go and get a massage but how do i start small in my head Yeah, well, I think you've got to pay attention to what you're already doing, I guess, and where you might be going wrong with that kind of stuff. You know, if you're, let's just say you've got the idea in your head that you want to do a startup business and you want to be earning X, you know, that's great. But, you know, you've sort of got to sit down and maybe look at people that have done that and start to kind of understand what's involved. And rather than just kind of think you're going to achieve it in a week, um, to really sit down and deconstruct it and actually work out the steps that it's going to take to get there. I think we're all very good at sometimes coming up with you know kind of goals i want to lose 20 kilos um but we don't necessarily sit down and work out realistically what is involved in that and how do i do that and also how much stress that can create because i see this in business people start a business and i say okay what's when you start i started two weeks ago okay what's your goal i want to make a million bucks in the next 12 months i'm like dude you're in you've got a recipe for fucking pain right there it takes the average business from startup at least 10 years to make a million bucks but in the first five years 96 percent will fail yeah and in the 10 years you know 90 8.2% 8.2% will fail. Mm. So, you know, you're setting yourself up for a lot of stress there. And I think 
this is a really important important point to talk to because again we're talking about stress and anxiety mm. and you know learning how to reduce it but i think sometimes we actually amplify it by setting ourselves these unrealistic goals yeah yeah and so oh, yep. i think you, you you make some really good points there start like 20 kilos unrealistic but maybe mm. maybe i'm not going to lose 20 kilos maybe i'm going to go for a 20 minute walk three times mm. a week and 20 kilos is realistic if you want to do it in 12 months bingo so yeah. i think sometimes educating yourself and talking to people that know about it and in business same thing you know I mean what's I would think one of the keys to successful business is surrounding yourself with the right people exactly so if you're surrounding people living yourself, the lifestyle exactly that you want to that's right and I'm not talking about the high life I'm talking yeah, about yeah. The, the work ethic yep. the, the, the the work required yeah uh, very much and you learn from those people and you leave yourself open to being wrong I think that's another thing you know oh, how good is I and, and I <sighs> my, my ex-wife would completely disagree with what I'm about to say now but I love being wrong mm. because every time I'm wrong I fucking learn something new yeah and I I think we're on this planet to learn as much as possible mm. and I think the more we can embrace failure and again stress anxiety what is our relationship with failure because mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people look at failure it's bad it's wrong it's something yeah. that should be avoided it's like no 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 no. you're missing the point mm. you know f- you know, success creates blunt instruments yeah. failure is what makes us sharp Yeah. and uh, yeah I think um, we should probably all learn how to embrace failure a little bit better which again comes down to exactly what you said what does it mean? What's going yeah. on? What is our relationship with it? Yeah, yeah. And learning your own strengths. And I think, you know, I look back at yes. my son does little athletics and, you know. So does mine. How old yours? Eight. Oh, mine's four. Oh, yeah. oh it's great. It's, it's a great so sport. Yeah. But it's for kids to learn that, no, you didn't get an award today. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, they got an award because they did a PB. and But that's okay, yeah. you know. Or, yes, he's really good at the 100-meter sprint, but look how good you are at discus, yeah, you know. Right. So I think for kids to kind of understand that they don't have to be good at everything and that there are going to be kids better than them at everything in life. But that doesn't mean that you're a failure. So I think teaching them that kind of resilience as well, and I think resilience is a buzzword. You might be crap at sport, but you might have a wicked sense of humor, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think... I lucked out on all that. But anyway. <laughs> Leanne Hall, this has been an absolute pleasure. For people who want to find out more about... You've written a book, right? I have written a book, yes. Yeah. What's it called? Head First, Health Fast. Yeah, I like that. Smart Approach to Outwitting body issues and achieving sustainable health. It's such a mouthful. I always forget it. It's bad, isn't it? No, it's fantastic. But that's why I got you to say it. (laughs) (laughs) So if people want to find out more about the book or find out more about you, where's the best place I can go? Probably my website, which is just leannehall.com.au. Fantastic. Leanne Hall, you're amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events and much more, please jump onto the website KerwinRay.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us. 